John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Well, we're live, Steve, here on the Cinephiles. Please start our show like you always do, my man. Hello, and welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, except we are not exactly entering the world of a great <laughs> film this week, but we are announcing a great film that we will be entering in the next two weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So much to talk about today. Sorry, I'm slamming in grapes because a man's got to find time to eat food when he can in this world when he's doing so many shows. I'm excited. <laughs> Today's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a live stream going on. Going to answer your questions about the 200th anniversary or 200th episode, rather, documentary that uh, Steve has been working on diligently. We've all been doing interviews for, and Steve has already started to send out some teaser stuff for us to take a look at and see. Steve, do you have anything you can show the fans or send me to show the fans today or or, or what's that's a, that's an interesting question so if i so if i send you a video you could show it to the fans today yes, I can. yes I okay can. let me, me let me think about that because let me tell you everyone we yeah. are doing something completely different for our 200th episode yeah. i know that in the past what we've done is we've opened it up to a q a we've had a lot of fun answering your questions and john and i just felt that that wasn't enough it's 200 yeah. episodes it's four years and so we talked about it and we said you know what we want all of you to see our faces, hear the stories of how the Cinephiles was created, actually meet some of those special guests who you've never seen before. And, and, and the biggest thing that we got to talk about as we've done sort of interviews with all of our guests and John and I is like, what is it that makes us Cinephiles? What has yeah. drawn us to be so obsessed with yeah. movies that we wanted to to, to, to make this podcast. And so in a lot of ways, this, this documentary is a love letter, not just to the cinephiles podcast, but also to film in general and how much all of us care so much about movies. Absolutely. I mean, that's the genesis and the foundation of us doing the cinephiles was our love of movies, our shared love of movies, our shared conversations about movies, analyzing them to the nth degree, looking at themes, looking at meaning, looking at uh, uh, cinematography, looking at the te technical aspects of a film, looking at the direction, the acting, all of it in combination. And then we decided to start a podcast to talk about those kinds of things. And so many of you have come along with us through the years, whether you be new fans, medium fans, or old fans, we appreciate you all being a part of the Cinephiles universe and letting us entertain you every week 
with our ideas and our thoughts about a classic movie, a movie that a great movie or a movie we just like and love and enjoy talking about that maybe necessarily wouldn't fall into the great category like maybe Zora the Gay Blade or Armageddon or assorted others. So it's so much fun to do all of that with <laughs> you all. And of course, someone pointing out already how the Civil War was one of these seminal uh, uh episodes uh, multiple multi-part episodes of the cinephiles because that is a tv show yet somehow we were able to make it work uh and revere it at, and approach it as we would any normal film and it's one of those ones that uh stands out for a lot of people steve i, ju I just have to jump in on an entirely different topic because sure. i'm looking looking through the comments here and i see someone that commented exactly what i would have commented if i yeah. was watching this which is nathaniel daniel said i'm so used to hearing the cinephiles on two times speed so this is tripping me out nathaniel <laughs> i cannot tell you how often i've had that experience because i listen to everything at two times speed and i always go like man everyone is so fast and witty and smart at two times speed and then you hear them at regular speed and it's like oh they were like i'll <laughs> wow. tell you something can i just an entirely different topic john i yeah. want to tell you something funny so Please. i am a big fan as all of you know of the top 10 show and lately the top 10 show has been doing their tribute to jeopardy i'd say they're doing yeah. their what's what's the title of it the golden ticket the golden the ticket. golden ticket and i've been listening to the golden ticket and like any game show i'm trying to compete and come up with the answers and i keep going man these guys are so smart i can't get the answer fast enough and then i go oh i'm listening to a two time speed <laughs> no wonder i can't get the answer in on time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it does. That's, uh, that's how you get caught up when you're doing that kind of stuff. And uh, but yeah, it's a it's a show we're proud of on the top ten, and we enjoy doing that. I can't do what you guys do that two times speed. I like to listen at the regular speed and then move on from there. But I wish I could. I wish I could because I lose something. I don't catch stuff as quickly as you guys do. But maybe it's just getting used to it. You know, we always adapt our brains yeah. to whatever we're, we're we're functioning in. So maybe that's a possibility. I uh, just want to let you all know we we got a big announcement coming here in just a few seconds uh, about our about our, this groundbreaking episode that we're going to do here on the cinephiles but i want to let you all know we are open for stream labs and super chats on this stream we have a stream we have a stream labs and super chat address well you know what to do with the super chats but here's our stream labs address i'm gonna put that in the private chat because unfortunately i couldn't get an overlay done in time for this live stream but i'll definitely put it right here if you want to send in your questions uh through stream labs here is uh the address that I am posting in the chat, so you'll be able to uh, be able to send in your questions and get them answered more quickly uh, than if you were sending your questions through a regular uh, through regular means. So, but we also have some Facebook questions. We also have some questions from Twitter. So we'll be spreading it out over the next hour and a half, and maybe just a little bit more than that uh, uh, th with your questions and answering them and having fun uh, getting into them. But Steve, we have a pretty big announcement to start off with before we get into the Q and A. Uh, would you like to take it away, my friend, please? Uh, yes, I would. So as as any of you know who listen to the show, we have a rule. And that rule is that we will not review a movie until it is proven to stand the test of time. And that rule has become the 10-year rule. So this year, 2020, we just beginning to do movies from 2010. Our first one was Inception. And what we are announcing right now is that we are breaking that rule. Yeah. All of you who could see from, from the title of this live stream is that in honor of Chadwick Boseman, who we so tragically lost, we are going to explore Black Panther, even though it's only three years old. And 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 I gotta tell you what's what's so amazing about this is as I've started to do my research on that film, 
I think it is such an important film. It's so present in the time, in the moment. And even though it's breaking our most important rule, I am thrilled that we're going to explore it. And, and we even are going to have some incredible guests on it. John, you want to tell us who t those guests are? Absolutely. We, uh, you know, you guys were asking for it and uh, we were able to make it work. We are going to have the great Jay Washington and uh, Winston Marshall on the show. They're both going to be uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, Black Panther with us, and we're going to have a great time with them. Uh, you know, Jay and Winston were so humbled to be asked to be a part of this. They understand the commitment because it's, it's going to be a pretty long episode. We'll break up into two parts for sure, uh, but we're going to spend some time talking with them about it, both of them very affected by the loss of Chadwick Boseman, as were we all. But certainly yeah. we wanted to get uh, Jay and Winston, who are both uh, pretty good, uh, pretty awesome, rather, people, but also pretty great uh, uh, pundits about the world of film, uh, pretty great analysts about the world of film as well. But also speaking from their point of view, what it was like to have something like Black Panther come into their lives at this stage in their lives and kind of how important that movie was and Chad Bosmick was Chad, Chadwick Boseman was to the black community. So all of that will be throughout the episode of Black Panther. It is, I think it's the right episode and the right movie for us to break our 10-year uh, rule with. Uh, all of us so deeply affected by the loss of Chadwick, by the loss of his talent in our world, and certainly he left an incredible legacy. And that film was nominated for Best Picture. Whatever your feelings are, whether it deserved to be or not, it is a film that is worth talking about, an important film, and a seminal film, not only in the world of superhero films, but in the world of films overall. Agreed. And, and the thing is, we felt this was so important that we wanted to do more than just do an episode. We were all so moved by Chadwick Boseman, so moved by his life, so moved by the choices of roles he made, by the courage it took for him to do what he did while suffering from stage four cancer. Yeah. And, and And so we didn't want to just do an episode is that we decided that to honor his life, the most important thing that we could do is to raise some money for kids with cancer. Yeah. And, and cause we see all of you have probably seen all of those times that he went to hospitals and worked with kids to, to help them at these incredibly difficult times. And so we've partnered with the National Children's Cancer Society. This is an incredible organization. I wanna talk a little bit about what they do and how we're gonna raise money for them. So first of all, we have a, a new website up and you can go to nc.vnccs.org slash donate dash Black Panther. Um, and we have our own fundraiser going for this. And this is what this society does. They're not actually paying for treatments and they're not paying for research. And so you might go like, well, how are they helping? Well, imagine you have the tragic news of having your child diagnosed with cancer. Well, this isn't just a medical problem. This is a family disease and the family has to struggle with incredible hardships in order to treat their kid. Like think about the fact that there's certain cancers that are only treated in one part of the nation. So if your kid has a rare form of retinal cancer and has to only be treated in New York and you have to be in New York once every single month for yeah. many, many months, well, you're going to have travel expenses. You're going to lose on work time. You're going to need a hotel. You're going to need support throughout this entire process both during treatment and after treatment. And that's what the National Children's Cancer Society does is that they, and the other thing is, is that insurance might 
you know, once the, let's say the cancer is treated and, and, and we're, you're lucky enough that it goes into remission, the kid's healthy, that's amazing. And yet the challenges still continue because kids who have gone through this might have emotional problems, they have uh, uh, mental health problems, and they need support throughout this process. And so the National Children's Cancer Society provides that support. They provide scholarships working all not only around the country, but around the world, helping kids and their families dealing with these incredible, incredible struggles. 95% of people, families who have kids with cancer, have their, their lives uh, and their finances tremendously affected by this. And so that's what we're trying to work to help out. And, and what we're very fortunate that uh, an anonymous donor has agreed to match all of the funds raised by the Cinephiles Black Panther uh, fundraiser, uh, once we cross $3,000. So if we can raise $3,000, that will be matched by a matching gift all the way up to $10,000. And so I really want the cinephiles community to come together and support this great cause so that we can raise money and help these families that are really in need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Andrew G, I did party post the StreamYards link, but let me post it again. You can, you can uh, swing back up there uh, to one of my, to one of my posts earlier here. I, I've got it here. Uh, right, right there is the Streamlabs link. If you want to send in any kind of uh, donation here, for, in fact, I'll just leave that up, Steve. I'll leave that up, and then we'll bring up separate, uh, uh, separate people when they're when they're sending in any kind of super chats or anything like that. But Streamlabs are there. Uh, Steve has the dashboard. He has access to the dashboard if he wants to read those out. The Streamlabs out, or I can do it as well. But what he just spoke about is something really important and very serious. And I, I hope you all uh, kind of uh, you know donate and show the National Children's Cancer Society uh, how we can step up to the plate and kind of honor Chadwick Boseman as well. Obviously, the the Black Panther episode is not going to be a live episode. However, uh, we will include the link here in the description. We'll include the link in the description for the episodes, uh, for the two, probably two-part episodes that we'll do for Black Panther as well for you. So you all can donate and help in any way that you can for the Childhood Cancer, uh, for the National Ch Children's Cancer Society. Something very important. You know, to be, uh, my father passed of cancer, and I saw how much it uh, really kind of wrecked him from the inside out. So I can't imagine what it's like to be a child fighting yeah. through these kinds of things and fighting through this diagnosis and trying to keep the, your spirits high and trying to keep uh, trying to keep a smile on your face so anything we can do to help would be incredible so there we go um and john have you uh, yeah. can you put that link for the national children's cancer society in the feed i, I absolutely I not understand this is i'm not experienced like the outlaw is and i don't know how to do that or i would have done it already um no and, and, and once again and we're going to put it it's going to be in all our social media it's going to yeah. we're going to continue to do it this fundraiser is going to go for the next three weeks so it's going to go through next week when we have our first hopefully on friday we'll release black panther part one the following week for Black Panther Part Two, and the following week after that, but we really want to push you to get your donations in, and and if you can, please try to link use the link we're sending out because that's how we're tracking the donations, yeah. and that's how we're going to get that matching gift. Um, there's one other thing I meant to say about our 200th episode. Some of you might have noticed that we have already released episodes 201 and 202. <laughs> and now because of this special Black Panther show, we're going to release episodes 203 yes. and 204 all before the 200th episode. And I'm sorry about that. There's a lot of things that happened. One of them was this partnership with Warner Brothers, which led us to do Million Dollar Baby and that at a time schedule. And obviously we wanted to honor Chadwick Boseman as quickly as possible. And so the 200th episode, 200th episode, it keeps getting pushed down the line, but yeah. Trust me, I think it's going to be a very, very special and very different uh, episode of the Cinephiles. And what we're going to do, by the way, is we're going to release um, uh, the 
video version right here on YouTube. And we will also create an audio only version, yeah. which will be in the regular podcast feed. But then you don't get to see our beautiful faces. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's going to be a little different. Uh, here's the donation link for the National Children's Cancer Society. Please donate there at that address there. You can write it down or you can copy it real quick off the chat uh, and maybe save it in your notes or what have you or save it as something special on your phone so that you can uh, remember to donate when you get a chance and kind of show them where we're at. Remember, these donations will be matched, so it's pretty incredible. Uh, uh, situation for uh that we have found ourselves in steve and something for something really positive so uh if you want to donate that there is the address and uh please tell them that the cinephile sent you if they if you can leave a message uh please tell them that the cinephile sent you that would help out a lot uh Absolutely. steve you've never done stream labs i don't think so do you we have did it, i did it once before okay, I did it okay. once before. do you have access to the to see what people are sending and the questions they're asking I am seeing comments come in in the comment stream. Is that what I'm supposed to be looking at? Yeah. Do you see donations above the comment stream in the Streamlabs? Oh, wait. Hold on. I'm at the wrong. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Sorry, guys. Because <laughs> um, apparently, because we're not monetized, we don't get a chance to do super chats on here. So only Streamlabs will be available. I can go and take a look if you want me to. And that way you can just keep monitoring the Facebook questions and the twitter questions if that's easier for you uh i'm gonna why don't you go and do that i'm also okay. gonna try to get it up but i can do both uh while, while you're doing that you want me to to bring up uh, one of our facebook questions yes please that'd be perfect well the first one comes from valerie yoder who is asking a question i'm not going to read the whole thing but the the basic question is that she is interested in getting involved in the entertainment industry ah, she's yeah. a graphic design background and she would like our advice on how we got started and and how she should approach it. And my advice is, Valerie, don't do it. <laughs> what? Not kidding. Not a joke. I say this at the beginning of every one of my classes. I firmly believe that if you could do anything else, if you're sitting there going, well, maybe I'll be an architect or a filmmaker, go be an architect. If you want to be a graphic designer, be a graphic designer. <laughs> this is a rough difficult, painful industry. And I think, John, I know you had similar, you know, set sure. of experiences to me. Sure. It is, you know, there's the Woody Allen line. It's, it's worse than dog eat dog. It's dog won't turn other dogs phone calls. It is so <laughs> crazy. It is so maddening. And there's just so much heartbreak in this industry that, that, you know, you got to be real careful. That's what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if hundred percent agree with Steve that you shouldn't do it. If you're driven to do it, if you love it, um, uh, do it, but just be ready for it not to work out. And if it does work out, all power to you. That's incredible. You took a chance and your dream came true. But if it doesn't work out, um, it's a hard pill to swallow and a far um, distance to fall. So do everything possible to give yourself the best chance to succeed. And by that, I mean, don't cop out on yourself. Don't not study the lines. Don't self-sabotage. Don't not have three different changes of clothes in your car at a moment's notice. Don't uh, don't uh, drive around without headshots stapled to resumes in your car constantly. Don't uh, skip out on going to casting director workshops. Don't skip out on going to workshops about anything if you can afford it. Yes, you might have to work a menial job, a shit job, just to be able to put food on the table or feed yourself just a little bit so you can go and get an acting class or get further ahead by taking a, 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 a an intensive. All those things are possible. But you got to be willing to do it and sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. That's the number one thing. Always a lot of sacrifice. Is if cable matters more to you than paying for a cast and director workshop, you're in the wrong business. 
If buying the new PS5 matters more to you than paying for an intensive with a casting director that could possibly cast you in something three years down the road, not three weeks, three years down the road, then you're in the wrong business. That's the way you have to approach it. Every dollar has to go towards something that furthers your career. And every day you have to do one thing that moves you further towards that goal. And it could be one thing you do and then fall backwards. But the next day you do one more thing and do one more thing the day after that. That's how it works. So, But what Steve says is true. If you have an interest in other things and it will distract you from what you're trying to do, don't do it. And and, and I'll add one more thing is that the the unemployment rate among SAG actors, these are (laughs) professional actors with real credits, it's like 94%. Okay, that means 94 percent of professional actors are not working at any one given time. And if you want to be a writer or director or something like that, you get rejected far less often. Like (laughs) like like an actor who's doing well is getting rejected all the time. Yes, that's a good sign of success. Every week you're going to an audition, one or two, three, and you're not getting him. Not that means you're doing really well. Writers and directors will put months and months and months of time into a particular project so yeah. the the rejections are fewer but the pain is greater yep because you might there's projects i spent three years developing that died yeah. putting three years of work into something that died hurts now the one thing i will say is that if you want to work on the more technical aspects of filmmaking and you're good at your job and you master a technical area of filmmaking it's much easier to get work Like if you're not trying to be a movie star, you're not trying to be the next Steven Spielberg, it's easier to get work. If you are just a fantastic grip or an incredible sound designer, you're going to, you're going to have a easier time getting work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me jump into a stream lab here. We've got from Parker. Uh, First of of all, let me thank everybody who subscribed to the Cinephiles over the last (laughs) few hours, uh, knowing we were doing this live stream. Thank you to Mark Summa, Philip Brian Butler, Brian M. Weiss, Carlos Fuentes, D.H. Wood 24, Jeff Cook, Britt Yo, Terrence Smith, Chris Sizemore, Jake Franson, and Taylor McKinney. Thank you all for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed to the Cinephiles YouTube channel, you can do so right now. For those of you who are watching right now, and thank you so much for watching. Uh, all right, Parker donated a few dollars. Thank you, Parker. Really appreciate that. He said, Thank you very much. Yeah, my depression has been hanging around a little longer than usual lately. You guys always bring my mood back up. My dream is you guys do all three Lord of the Rings films with Rachel Cushing, and hopefully John can be converted into a token fan. Love you guys. All right. (laughs) Very clearly, let me state, I'm not not a token fan (laughs) because clearly I like the Hobbit movies. It's just the Lord of the Rings movies. And even I know Rachel Cushing explained the Hobbits to me as best in the best possible way, and I get it. I totally respected her point of view. But it doesn't mean that I can watch those movies without irrit- without being irritated by those three little hobbits. So or four little hobbits, how many there are, however many there are. Uh, but everyone else I enjoy just about. Everyone else is is I love their journeys and I enjoy even Gimli, uh, who's also diminutive in stature. I enjoy <laughs> him. Uh, but for some reason the hobbits just kind of get on my nerves. Uh, anyway, uh, Steve. Uh, we should at some point tackle one of these Lord of the Rings movies. We should start this progression at some point if we can convince it, Rachel to come it, back. It's on. it's so funny. I I was literally thinking about this a couple of days ago and how <laughs> we would go about doing them because I have I think they're incredible films yes. in terms of filmmaking. Like, okay. do I think they're perfect movies? No, I don't. But I actually uh, some of you know that uh, John and I both worked on DVDs at one point. <laughs> I worked on all of the I was literally a month in an NDA in a room where I couldn't speak to anyone working on those Lord of the Rings discs. <sighs> so I 
I have watched every single thing, every behind the scenes thing, every commentary track, and my respect for those films went through the roof yeah. doing that process. So as movies on their own, I think they're really good. As uh, a way to explore the process of filmmaking, I think they are amazing. Yeah. But I also think it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. And maybe maybe what we do, I would love to do it, but maybe what we do is we do it sort of the way we did Star Wars with Mike Vogel is that we do one and then we which will obviously be a two-parter and yeah. then we and then we wait 6 months and we do another and but I would totally like to do it. Okay. Um uh, I think there's so much to talk about. Well, and this is something it's funny in, in working on the 200th episode documentary, something that's come up several times is that Sometimes the best conversations we have are not necessarily about the best films. Yeah. You know, they're films where there's a lot to talk about. Um, and and certainly there's a lot to talk about with the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, absolutely. And Lord God isn't there. I mean, podcasts and TV shows and uh they're all built off of that. So absolutely, man. I mean, I think it would be great to see that uh down the road. So we shall see if we put it together yeah. and get enough people get uh Rachel Cushion to be behind it. So we'll see, my man. We'll see. Um, uh, we got a question here from Nathan Pollock, which I think is really interesting. Okay. He says, uh, uh, he says a topic that is big to me is the allowance of bullying or abusive behaviors by auteurs. And he mentions Stan, uh, Stanley Kubrick's sure. treatment of Shelley Duvall. He met, met, talks about John Ford, who was frequently abusive. And what he asks is, should we tolerate this? Yeah. I mean, the, and, and there are other filmmakers like Clint Eastwood, like Steven Spielberg, like Ron Howard, like Rob Reiner. Mm -hmm don't have those situations so at yep. this time in the world john do you think we should be tolerating abusive behavior from directors not anymore i don't think i think we've hit that wall where in 2020 we don't have the patience uh nor do we have the desire to accept that kind of behavior from people uh in the entertainment industry anymore and we're seeing it now more more than ever with the harvey weinstein situation we're seeing it with which would have which happened there but also we're seeing it now recently with john boyega calling out star wars yeah. in the british gq interview and we're seeing it with ray fisher calling out jeff johns and wb and dc for basically protecting jeff johns against him he had he said quite quite clearly that he had terrible experience he was he felt he was singled out he felt he was abused by jeff johns and Joss Whedon during the making of Justice League after they had removed Zack Snyder from the film. So we're seeing more and more that people are stepping up and talking about it and pushing back and trying to draw attention to it. So to me, absolutely, I think that kind of abusive behavior needs to go the way of the dodo, so to speak. Uh, and what people got away with back in the classic eras of the 70s or whatever, that was stuff that they were allowed to get away with. But I'm sure if someone put their foot on Charlie Chaplin's neck and said, you're only going to get 10 takes for this particular scene, that's all you get. Charlie would have found a way to figure it out or it had been out on his ass. That's kind of how it works now. So uh, more and more, I think there need to be what they call it, tolerance officers or compliance officers on sets to make sure no one is getting abused who's a woman, no one is getting abused as a person of color, or no one is getting abused, period, regardless of color or gender, so that these things can be made in a way that's a little more... How can I say this? Uh, that uh, forces the director not to succumb to their worser nature. And I think that can happen. And other actors too, and producers too. Yeah. Absolutely. I I I have sort of two opinions on this, which is yeah. one is I I I'm not gonna say that some of the films of the past made by people who did things like this aren't great films. Right. Of course. You not. know, like 
Stanley Kubrick made great films. Yes. You know, Kurosawa was known as the emperor. He made great films. Mm -hmm. Like there are, and, and there's even, you know, th things like certain filmmaking technique that was very personal and emotional. Like you think of uh, Francis Ford Coppola and what he did in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Well, that's a great film. And, and sometimes artists sign on with a filmmaker knowing that they're going to go through some stuff in order to get something on the other end. So that's one opinion. I'm yep. a teacher of directors. And as a teacher of directors, I would never tolerate a student that behaves in any way like this. I would fail them. I would even see that they got expelled yep. for some of the treatment that we have heard. What I treat, what I teach in my classes is that being compassionate, being understanding, being supportive, that is, is the job of the director. That if the director is the captain of the ship, the captain of the ship is responsible for the health and well-being of everybody sailing with them. Yeah. Is, that, is that that is their job. And if someone gets hurt on a set, emotionally or physically, the buck stops with the director. Yep. And so it is so important to me that this lesson, in fact, this lesson is more important to me than how to set up good camera angles or how to work with a script or how to talk to an actor. The first lesson is be a good person. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that happens is that leadership uh, behavior goes down through the ranks. Mm -hmm. So if you have an abusive director, well, then you might have an abusive DP and yep. you might have because everyone's angry. Everyone's stressed out. Um, if you have a director who's calm, who's understanding, who's yeah. kind, then that filters down through the rest of the crew and you have a set. Because here's the thing. You don't live your life accepting awards. You live your life on the set. Yeah. And nobody wants to live on a set that's painful and unhappy. I want to live on a happy set. That's where I want to be. And that's what I teach my students to do. Right. And happy doesn't mean you can't create edgy stuff or gritty stuff <laughs> or be pushed to the limits of your emotional abilities as an actor. All of that is possible because when you're on a set where you feel happy and supported and taken care of, you can go to the end of your emotional abilities as an actor or the end of your talent, like the precipice of your talent, and feel comfortable that you will be pulled back right before you go too far or you fall off that cliff. It's really important. Um I interviewed Melora Walters uh, two or three weeks ago for a new horror Western she had that came out where she played the, the lead of this coven of, of uh, witches. And we spoke about her work with Paul Thomas Anderson in Magnolia. If you remember mm. Melora Walters in Magnolia, that was one of the most um, tightrope performances I've ever seen. She, she Her character almost, almost feels like she's made out of porcelain. At any moment, she could fall over and shatter into a million pieces. And she spoke about working with PTA that he creates such a uh, a a supportive uh, a set that fosters uh, uh, care and comfort um, and that you, it allows the actor to go as far as they need to go because they know the director has the ability to pull them back, to yank them back, to not let them go over the edge uh, ever so deftly. And she said it allowed me to go into these very terrible places and then I could go home and just be totally relaxed and be cool with it. I didn't have to carry it home with me yep. because I knew I was supported by my director and I could come back on the next day on the set and I didn't have to manufacture it. It was there. And so it's just like, that's an incredible thing to hear from another actor, especially an actor who likes to go into these darker places with their performances. That's a great point. Yep. All right. Uh, oh. we, got, we got a stream lab here that came through from Soul Shard 1999. He said, guys, firstly, thanks again for this podcast. I savor it every week to the question. 
Major League was such a fun episode with Kay Cannon. The sound editing alongside the as-ever top-notch content got me hyped. Which movie's sound editing stuck with you, Steve? Okay. The number one sound film is yeah. The Conversation. You, there, there's just oh, yeah. this is this is I mean because that's what it's about. This is uh, Francis Ford Coppola. It's edited and sound designed by the great Walter Murch, and it is about a guy listening to things. And so <laughs> that sound field is amazing. What yeah. they do to tell that story. Um, another one that pops to mind is uh, No Country for Old Men, oh, almost yeah. for the opposite reason. But No Country for Old Men has almost no score, which is like. That is a, you know, like if you're going to give the uh, the difficulty rating before your Olympic dive competition, saying a filmmaker saying, I'm going to have no score in my film. Well, that shoots the difficulty way up. And what's supporting it? Incredible sound design. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to think about some other ones, too. Uh, I've got three of them. I would say 1917 sitting right behind me. That's oh my God. Yeah. Sound design. Uh, and certainly I've started uh, over the last year or two as I've been, as I've been enjoying my Bose headphones, uh, I've started to watch movies only with headphones on so I can mm. hear the sound design, the little clicks, the, the ambient noise and what have you, everything that's rolling through. I just watched Dracula, the transport Coppola Dracula mm. the other night for like an hour. There is so much that you miss just watching it straight up. Unless you have an incredible sound system, there's so much that you miss that uh, Coppola is layering on top of all the Dracula scenes. And by that, I mean, you can hear the sounds of the people that he has killed before in his past. You can hear the wails when he speaks of the souls that he has taken of the blood that he has sucked on for centuries it's layering mm -hmm. screams and howls and moans all of this layers through when he speaks to keanu reeves even more distinctly when you're wearing the headphones uh so I, that's one of the ones that's pretty incredible to me and i'd also say probably apocalypse now the sound design on apocalypse now is stellar absolutely stellar and if we walk away from you know war films i think another incredible one is lawrence of arabia to hear the sounds mm. of the camel's hooves, to hear the sounds of the sand, to hear the sounds of, of the anguish in all their voices and the little clicks and clacks and all the things that are going on. I think it's pretty incredible. I think, uh, you know, while we're talking, you know, it's so funny because we're talking about Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. The person we're really talking about is Walter Murch. Yeah, he is the point. person who goes through all these. And we got to add The Godfather, the sequence yeah. where, where Michael kills the guy in the Italian restaurant where he goes oh. into the bathroom and get the gun. That sound design, the sound of the train, the way that yeah. he mixes uh, the dialogue down. So here, here's some basic sound design rules. Only one thing's going to end up on top. Okay, so so in general, if you have dialogue, the dialogue's on top because you need your audience to understand the dialogue. Yeah, is that and then if you might have a sound effect, well, you need the dialogue to drop out of the way so the sound effect can come in on top. Yeah, well, in that scene in the Italian restaurant, the sound of the train is obscuring the dialogue. It's amazing, it's an amazing thing to see. Um, yeah. we got to talk about Star Wars. I think yeah. it's Ben, ben um, Bart. I yeah. mean, like the I mean, that's just unbelievable advance in sound design and some of the stories like that the sound of the um of the destroyer star destroyers is the sound of a broken air conditioning unit. That the yeah. sound of the blasters is him hitting a crowbar on the metal guy wire of a of a uh, a huge electrical tower. So it goes right, right. you know, like the sound of the lightsaber is moving a magnet around an old uh, CRT tube. Yeah, you know yeah. that that that's just incredible, incredible sound design. Yeah, well, even uh, what Indiana Jones, uh, whoever did the sound design, I forget the person's name, but they, you figured out they could make the sound of Indiana Jones punching somebody. Took a baseball bat to a stack of leather jackets. That's how <laughs> I got the sound. 
which was incredible to hear when you're watching the movie. Um, all right, we've got 90 of you all watching us live, but only 45 likes. So if you're liking the show, please hit that thumbs up button. Get us up to 90 likes. Get us to match as many likes uh, as there are people watching here on this particular episode of the Cinephiles. And right at the one, right at the three o'clock hour, I think we'll drop a, a like a one minute snippet of what we've got coming up here uh, with this documentary. Give you a taste. Steve sent me about 11 minute uh, video, but only about a minute is uh, is allowed on StreamYard. So I'm going to I cut it down to I cut the, a minute out of it. and I'm going to p- play it for you all at about three o'clock. But until then, let's keep answering questions. What do you have, Steve, on your side? I got a real quick question uh, that I want to answer in the shortest possible way, which is okay. Carlton, Carlton Rudder wants us to make a prediction on the election. And here's <laughs> what I'm going to say, Carlton. I think predictions in elections is a uh, is a scourge. I think it is terrible. Every time I listen to I know John does, too. I, I read the papers. I listen to a lot of politics. And every single day. How does this affect the election? How does this affect election? Did the chances of Biden go up? Did the chances of Trump go up? And all of that discussion of trying desperately to look at the polls and make a prediction is sucking the air out of our country. Yep. Is that because what we're not talking about is the actual stuff that's going on? Yeah. You know, it's like stop trying to predict it. Mm-hmm. Stop. Yep. Start talking about what's happening. That's yep. my opinion. Agreed. I agree. Um, prediction, as Mr. T once said in Rocky Three. Pain. Pain. Uh, <laughs> uh, should we move on to one more Streamlab here, or, or do you want to do Rob on your end? Uh, it's up to if we okay. got a Streamlab. Let's do that first. Good. All right, Brendan Mars said the films of New Hollywood, late 1960 through early 80s, are some of the greatest in cinematic history. What qualities do these possess that have allowed them to solidify themselves? in such a way thank you brennan appreciate the donation always good to see you my brother uh so uh steve yeah the films of new hollywood late 60 through early 80s so basically about 68 to 80 um what quality do these possess that have allowed them to solidify themselves in such a way to be the greatest in cinematic history i would say individuality Mm. is that is that there was that was a time at which because the studio system had collapsed and because there was such success in the late sixties of Bonnie and Clyde and the graduate and uh, easy Rider, those kinds of films is that the studio sort of abdicated control to these auteurs and that allowed these filmmakers to explore very personal things in a way they hadn't been allowed to before. And so I think, and, and of course that, that led to all this excess which led to the demise of that era of filmmaking. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, uh, for me, and, and what's funny is I love the movies of the eighties too, yeah. um, but for a completely different reason. Like I love um, back to the future or I love Raiders of the Lost Ark for a totally different reason than I love the conversation or the last picture show. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're just an entirely different thing. One is you're allowing an auteur to explore things without a lot of rigid controls. And the other, you're trying to make the well-made movie. Yeah. Um, and I like them both. Yeah, agreed. That uh, is my favorite decade of films is the 70s and certainly the new Hollywood films. I think what they did more than any other era was to nakedly attack the foundations of this country and of the world and expose them for the fallacies that they are post-Vietnam or during Vietnam, you know, exploring the fallacies of the, uh, you know, banning, banging the che- banging the drum for war, exploring the fallacies that the, the government and the president are always going to protect you, exploring the fallacies of man versus woman relationships this idea that women should just be doodly sitting by their men that's all they ever wanted 
all of that gets ripped apart. This idea of the hippie as you know uh, as a well, as harmless that all of that gets ripped apart throughout this whole thing. Uh, the idea that spying on the government. The conversation is in 1973, I think, or yeah, right. 73, something like that. Yeah. And that is that's a film that explores how people are hired to listen in on your conversations in 2020. This is still something that we're talking about. So so much about that era is, and I agree with Steve, individuality absolutely. But I also think the way it just balls out approached uh, uh, destroying the, the systems that we have, um, we had, uh, uh, I don't know, lied to ourselves about that were protecting us and weren't, uh, weren't, uh, that were flawless. We found out they were full of flaws because they're run by human beings. And like anything run by human beings, it's full of flaws. So I, th- I loved all that. Plus, allowing these directors to be auteurs, I think so much more of that is the reason why uh, we get to see directors and their artistry really push to the limit. And we get to see them have whole new tools in their toolbox to play with. Uh, and then the toolbox gets shut down basically in the eighties uh, to the extent that it was allowed to be open in the seventies. So that's the shame. All right. Um, I want to, I want to jump in again, just for people that might just be tuning in yeah. that we're announcing that we are doing breaking all our rules, doing two episodes of black Panther in order to, honor of Chadwick Boseman. And in addition to that, we have a, a fundraiser with the national children's cancer society. There is a link to our fundraiser in the feed. We're trying to raise money for families dealing with kids with cancer. And if we can reach $3,000, we have a matching gift coming in all the way up to $10,000. So please support this. Check out the link in the feed. Um, I I got uh, another question here. Uh, This one is from uh, Jeremy Vogt, I think is his name. Yeah, Vogt. Okay. What movies in the last five years do we think will make cinephiles? Uh, There's so many. Like, just in the last year to me, there's one right behind John, 1917. Unbelievable film. Amazing film. I think Parasite, obviously, is an incredible movie, and I love Jojo Rabbit. Those are three films just from the last year that I would want to explore. Yeah, I would would agree with that. Uh, God, best films from the last five years? Hell, I mean, we got to do a social network at some point. I know that that's 2010, but... Oh, man, there's a lot here to to digest. Um, let me it's see. Fu- it's funny you say social network. When you watch our 200th episode documentary, you might hear something about social network. Right. I think Mad Max Free Road, right? That's 2015. 100%, yeah. yeah. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think at some point we'll address that. Oh, uh, I love that movie. Get Out is another one that we can address for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Ex Machina. I would love to dive into that. The Master. Good. Uh, her, I love her. Right, that's a really good movie. Moonlight, I think Moonlight would be incredible to explore. Uh, I think we would do a four-part uh, <laughs> episode of Infinity War and Endgame back to back to back. I think that would absolutely be incredible as well. And then maybe we'll tackle Spotlight, Steve. As you said, both of us are big uh, readers of newspapers and what have you. So that's something that we would, I think we'd thoroughly enjoy tackling. Sure. Sure, yeah. lots of good movies there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, we've got a StreamYard or Streamlabs here from uh, Jordan. He says, uh, favorite working director, favorite working actor. P.S. I love listening after watching movies for the first time. Just listen to the Top Gun, Terminator, and Close Encounters episodes after my first watches. I know, I know. Older episodes, but great work as always. Uh, all right, uh, Steve, favorite working director, favorite working actor. Uh, Taika Waititi right now. I mean, okay. I just, the guy can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned at the moment. Okay. Um, how about you? 
Uh, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, yeah, of un- course. Un- untouchable, in my opinion. Certainly one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, Sicario is another one we should definitely do at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, Arrival, uh, Blade Runner 2049. All those should be in contention for something we can do down the road uh, years from now. <laughs> but yeah. uh, for me, Denis Villeneuve is the one that absolutely stands as everything. I, I look forward to every film he he drops. And acting-wise, I mean, it used to be Daniel Day-Lewis till he retired, but someone who's really starting to become uh, an actor I admire and watch uh, distinctly is Oscar Isaac. Um, sure. Uh, I just watched A Most Violent Year when I was down in San Diego a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen that one, been waiting to see that one. And uh, it is an incredible performance from him with Jessica Chastain, you know, two alphas slamming heads uh, within their partnership in marriage and also in business and, uh, you know, profiling a uh, thing that happened legitimately back uh, during the 80s in New York. So incredible stuff. And I'm looking forward to see what he doesn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, can, can I just say something it's a little bit off topic, but it yeah, just sure. occurred to me because I was just thinking through actors that I admire and people yeah. that that have given many, many great performances. There's some there, there's so many signs of becoming old. And, and, and <laughs> one of the signs of becoming old is when you see like, oh, this like I am now older than the professional athletes or I am now <laughs> as old as, you know, like I, I used to be oh, yeah. as old as the college athletes. And then I'm now older than the commentators. People are retiring, you know, much younger than me. And one of the, one of oh, yeah. the worst ones that happened recently is when a child actor in your brain is playing over the hill parts. And that is Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. It's like Leo is an incredible, incredible actor. And like watching him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he's amazing. And I'm yeah. going, oh no, the child actor is playing the overhill, over the hill actor. He's playing the old guy now. I must be incredibly old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thoroughly agree. Thoroughly agree. It does overwhelm you for sure. I mean, I yeah. still. It's weird to think that I'm way older than LeBron James. It's kind of mind-blowing. Right, right. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, what, what's a question you have on your end, Steve? Uh, I've got one from, let's see. Oh, from Renee Baker. This is an interesting question. What do you feel is missing in your knowledge of cinema? Is there a particular director or genre or national cinematography that you think you should learn more about? <laughs> the, the the answer for me is there's so much. Mm. You know, I like, like, and I would say you basically all of world cinema, I need to know more about, mm. you know, it's like, it's not that I haven't watched films from the French new wave or Italian neorealism or watched Eisenstein or Ingmar Bergman, I, uh, you know, I have, mm. but I haven't studied it. You know, it's like there, you know, it's like, if you look at how many times I've watched Star Trek to the wrath of Khan versus how many times I've watched 400 blows. Well, 400 blows I've seen once, you yeah. know? So like that, there's just so much in that world, in the world that I haven't really explored. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I agree with you. I think I've, I've fallen a little bit off the bandwagon of watching foreign films. I used to pride myself on seeking out those foreign films that only three people were in the theater at to watch. Uh, but I haven't done that lately. And that's something I need to catch up on. For example, I haven't seen portrait of a lady on fire, the French film. It's out of Hulu right now. It's supposed to be one of the most incredible films over the last uh, year. So I have to watch that. Um, I think horror is always the number one thing. I sure. only see the best and the, the best of the best of horror is the only thing I watch. I'm not going back in to watch, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre five or anything like that. It's just right. not my jam, not my jam. Yet some people claim that in those later 
uh, sequels of films, you see some great work from some up-and-coming directors and actors and cinematographers and writers, but I'm not willing to jump into those. So that's something that I have to at some point confront and kind of wade through. But horror really messes me up, so it's not something I necessarily gravitate to for real. Uh, I deal with the real horror of life, and I do find (laughs) that the people who love horror the most have a hard time dealing with the actual horror of life. I find that to be a fascinating thing as I, live in my, as I live in my life. They can't stand the horror of politics, but they will wade into someone being flayed alive, hanging upside down in a hotel somewhere in their film. So it's it's very strange to me. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, yeah. Soulshire 1999 says... Any hints towards the next director special? I love collecting my favorite director's ovoirs. Villeneuve, Fincher, Lumet are just some of my faves. What say you gents? So we usually do a month of. Do we have a month? Have we announced that already? Who the month of? We haven't. We know what it is. It is in our schedule. I don't know. Are we in, you know. Hey, it's up to you, my man. Here's Here's what I'll say. It is our most requested films. Yes, it has already come up in the in the chat stream, mm-hmm. and so if I see, I don't know how many should be twenty people say what it is, sure. then I we will announce it. Yeah. So if twenty people take take a guess at what you think it's going to be, and if twenty of you are right, yeah. then you we will announce it. If twenty of you are right, then we'll announce it. Absolutely. Yes, not just guessing, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, all right. What 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 do you got on your end? Uh. Uh, what is the, let's see, let me find the name here. I lost the name. Um, uh, I can't find it. So I'm going to read a different one. So Phil Butler is asking about Star Trek and that there's rumors of a Star Trek movie without Kirk or Picard. Uh, and he he's asking, do we think there's still room for the JJ cast? And what do we think of a Quentin Tarantino, uh, Star Trek movie? I do not want a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie as much as it would be incredible to have a, his ability to write dialogue in a Star Trek movie. A, he'd put himself in it. You just know he couldn't resist it. B, um, I don't know if his approach to Star Trek, uh, or his approach to movies, rather, is what Star Trek needs. I mean, Star Trek does not need a gritty, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't know, brutal approach to to. Star Trek. I just don't want to see it. Star Trek's about hope. It's about uh, enduring the madness of um, social, uh, I don't know, issues, you know, and about all of that to come out on the other side um, connected and together and unified. And that never happens in any of the Tarantino movies. So I'd be surprised. I wouldn't want to see a Tarantino Star Trek, just like I wouldn't want to see a Tarantino Star Wars, to be honest with you. So it's not a director that I'd necessarily run to. A Denis Villeneuve Star Trek? Absolutely. If he remade Star Trek the Motion Picture, and I thoroughly believe he's the only one that should remake should remake Star Trek the Motion Picture, I would be absolutely obsessed with seeing that. But that being said, I don't need to see a Star Trek movie with Kirk or Picard. Let's move on. Um so let me let me answer the middle part first. I love okay. the JJ cast. I think the J- I think just in terms of casting, they are amazing. I, I think the first movie I loved. It has its flaws, but as a Star Trek fan, that just the first opening pre-credit sequence with the birth of Jim Kirk had me weeping. I, mm-hmm. I like yeah. like I absolutely hate the second film, and I think the third film's fine. Okay. So I have no problem with the cast. If we could bring back that cast, they're a great cast. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
Tarantino thing, I've gone back and forth so many times. My, my main reaction is your reaction, mm. which is he is wrong for Star Trek. Yeah. But then I sort of went, well, Star Trek uh, encompasses a lot, you know? And, and even if you just watch the original series, they have silly ones and they have serious ones. Yes. They have scary episodes and action-filled episodes and very intellectual episodes. And so, is there, and so part of me goes like, well, Maybe it would be interesting. I know he loves Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but but at this moment, I'm kind of with you. I don't need to see that. Um, it's weird to me that we have so much Star Trek right now. Yeah. That we have Discovery, we've had Picard, we have that new animated series, which I've watched oh, three thanks. episodes of and and hate. I just <laughs> hated it. That's okay. not my Star Trek. Um right. uh, and that we have, you know, there's other shows coming along. So I I, I think. What we really need is uh, my Star Trek. So I would like I would like oh. Paramount to hire me. I've been wanting to write Star Trek my whole life. One of my very first pitches for comics was for the for the I think DC had the Star Trek series at the time, yeah. and uh, I, I I would love to write Star Trek. That's what that's something crazy. I really want to do. I love that idea. Um, Francisco Benitez, he donated. Thank you, Francisco. He says, congrats on 200 episodes. I've recently been going through the backlog, and I've noticed that there haven't been any Audrey Hepburn films done yet. Huh? Mm. Any chance to see one of her films in the near future? A fan since episode 50 or so. Well, thank you, Francisco, for hanging on through 150 other episodes. Um, Steve, yeah, we haven't done an Audrey Hepburn one. I guess I, we, we won't do Breakfast at Tiffany's. We've both agreed on that, I think. Uh, but certainly there are other films that he, she won. I've just, you know, that she's uh, been incredible in. I mean, Roman Holiday is something to explore. Possibly Sabrina could be a fun one from Billy Wilder. There are a number of Audrey Hepburn films. We could, I, 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 I love My Fair Lady. We my haven't done a lot of musicals. And My Fair Lady gives you like you're, you're doing George Bernard Shaw and Audrey Hepburn and a musical. That's one that I love. She also the thing about Audrey Hepburn. She is one of the most beautiful people. I don't mean physically yeah, beautiful, yeah. but just an amazing, yeah. interesting, lovely person that I think it would be a joy to take a look at her life. I agree. Charade, that's another one. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't watch that remake. Woof. Um, all right, Steve, what do you got on your end? Uh, well, I think that I have seen 19 guesses that 19. are correct. We're so close. We're so yeah. close. I stopped at 19 as well. Yeah. Um, uh, let me look here. Let's see. Uh, would you rather be limited to watching only previously released films? This is from uh, Clint Chirpich, by the way, or movies released in the future. Do so you want only old movies or only new movies? What do you think? Well, I still have my memory of the old movies. So I would lose the comfort of that in exchange for new movies. It's a very difficult question. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I know. I think I'd have to stay with my old movies. It depends day to day. Like tomorrow, I could be like, no, I want to see the innovations of the new stuff and see what they can create. But by the same token, I've, all, I've had all this time locked in here, uh, and yet I don't turn on the new movies. I go back and watch the old stuff because that's comfort food for me. So I think I'd have to say uh, the old movies, yeah. It's old movies for me. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I, I feel like that's the the lazy choice, the weaker choice, the less ambitious choice, whatever. 
the fact of the matter is I don't get to watch that many movies these days. Yeah. I'm just so busy yeah. and there's so much effort that goes into my research for the cinephiles every week. And then trying to watch a couple of TV shows with my wife, you know, <laughs> like, and then deal, you know, like just getting my kid to bed by yeah. 10 o'clock at night is tough. Yeah. So the, the need for the comforting film is just, it's, it's high, you know? I agree. I hear you, man. I hear you. Um, uh, I think we've crossed 20. I think, I think so. All right. Do I, we want to make the announcement now or maybe at the top of the hour here in about four minutes? Do you have a couple more questions and give it four minutes? What do you say? Um, I, we cross, so here's the thing. When I said that there are 19, all you had to do was look back and see what had been guessed the most. So I think most people already know. I think we might as well say okay. that, ahead. yes, it is the Godfather. It is Francis yeah. Ford Coppola, Godfather 1 and 2. I don't know what we're going to do about Godfather 3. We haven't really talked no, about it. It's certainly – it's not a movie I would ever do on the cinephiles. I mean, maybe we, we could talk about it a little bit on Patreon. Yeah. But – Short. But, Maybe you do a short on the movie. I'm cool yeah. with that. But but Godfather one and two, that is gonna be it's probably gonna take us more than a month yes. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be a two month. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a lot. There's a lot to say. <laughs> um uh, all right. Do you have a question or should I jump into the next one here over on Streamlabs? Uh no, let's do the Streamlabs one. Okay. This is from Phil Butler. Thank you, Phil, for the very kind donation. Two things. One, breaking away is the movie that influenced me most as a child. Now, I have bikes hanging all over my apartment, and I pedal a lot. My last ride was 170 mile, 107 miles, 107 miles through the Ozarks. That's pretty awesome. Two, thank you for breaking your rule for Chadwick Boseman. Oh, thank you, Phil. I appreciate that. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for talking about biking. I am, uh, as we make, I'm as Steve knows, I am on, I'm in uh, the middle of an impending move to a new city, which will hopefully be done by the beginning of October. Uh, and I, the city offers me a lot of areas to bike safely. L.A. is not a safe area to bike in. So uh, to move to this city, I've already mapped out uh, different bike paths that I'll be going on to fall back in love with riding my bike. And I could not be more excited to do it. So I absolutely feel you, brother. And the fact that you're riding 107 miles through the Ozarks means you are riding like you're wearing the tight compression shorts. You've got those specially designed contour bike seats. You probably got the water hooked into your uh, uh, hooked into your bike frame there. You're wearing the, the, the hat with the aerodynamic uh, helmet there. You're probably wearing the tight shirt as well. So I'm not there. I just put on shorts and ride my bike. So you're way ahead of me. But uh, shout out to you, Phil. And thank you so much for being kind about us breaking our rule for Chadwick Boseman. So, Phil, first of all, that's amazing. I had a good 10 years where I was riding a lot. And I, I live in pretty steep hills, so just getting out of my hills was hard. And I was doing 20 to 40-mile bike rides, you know, multiple times a week. Yeah. I was a lot lighter then. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I actually would be really hard for me to ride over my hills right now. But I want to talk about Breaking Away. Breaking yeah, Away please. is a movie that I watched so many times as a kid. I watched right. it over and over again. It had made a huge impression on me. I haven't seen it probably in 20 years. But I can still picture Dennis Quaid going into the refrigerator in the, uh, in the water in the, in the old uh, quarry. I can picture the main character going 60 miles an hour and passing the truck. I could picture him finally riding up in the race to the Italians that he has been obsessed with and then crashing. I can picture the big final race where they strap his feet into the, into the bike. I could picture so much of that movie. It just had a huge, huge impression on me. You know? Are you done with spoilers? I've never seen it, so I didn't want to ruin myself. Oh, my it. God. So I took my headphones off as soon as you started going. You know what? Spoilers. 
maybe maybe this is a maybe this is an upcoming cinephile since you haven't seen it. I'm down with it. I'm absolutely yeah. down with it. Always wanted to watch it, so that could be a great excuse for that. Um, all right, what do you got on your end? Well, it's three o'clock. You said oh, at three o'clock, top of the hour. All right, top of the hour to you. All right, let us see. Let's let me take this. Uh, let me take this down, and then we will play this. So this is a one minute clip uh, from the uh, upcoming two hundredth uh, episode documentary that Steve has been working uh, vigilantly on and uh, spending a lot of hours creating. Uh, and uh, let's take a look to, to and I cut out a minute. He doesn't know what minute I've cut out. Yeah. So let's. Uh, I, let's I, take a look I do know it. it's very early. The sound isn't leveled out. You know, there's stuff that needs working on. Right. But don't criticize these people. All right. When Scott Mance came on the Cinephiles to do Wrath of Khan, I think that is a watershed moment in the show. Guys, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here to talk about the one thing that I love talking about more than anything. Really? And that is you, Roka. What? No, <laughs> you! Like, he came in with so much energy and so much power, and it was so great. And immediately, the three of us just had this connection. Of course, it was about Star Trek, which all of us love. And I think that it became our longest episode up to that point. And it was also an episode that was just filled with energy and excitement and being able to share that with steve and with scott and hearing their points of views and their thoughts there it was just so so thrilling star trek star trek 2 star trek 2 the wrath of khan the wrath of khan yeah. which is as we all know widely hailed as the greatest star trek movie of them all Absolutely. the citizen kane of star <laughs> trek movies there we go that's a minute clip from the documentary there. Uh, you know, we couldn't use any clip outs from the actual movies. Uh, I didn't want this uh, video to get a strike or anything like that. So uh, I just wanted to be safe there just in case. So we use that's a clip of Scott Mance speaking about uh, Wrath of Khan. And there's a lot more. There's like 10 more minutes of footage that Steve, uh, Steve uh, cut out and sent me to take a look at today. And that's just a minute. Steve, it's fantastic. I loved it. Uh, thanks. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun to work on. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't I ask you a quick question? How did okay. you how did you compile uh, what to do with these uh, these uh, you know when when we're addressing certain movies? Because of course, the one you sent me starts with some talk about Amadeus or Amadeus, uh, and then you slide into a little bit of of Die Hard, and then into a little bit of Wrath of Khan, a little bit of uh, of um, uh, Orson Welles and the Month of Cain. All of that throughout this. How are you uh, picking out the things you want to talk about? Do you just have clips memorized, or are you going back and listening to our episodes from those particular uh, movies? Some of them I remember. Some of them I've had to go listen to. So, for instance, I knew that I wanted a good clip from Shannon McClung and Michael Vogel, so I just re-listened to some of our Back to the Future podcast yeah. it's also one of the advantages of listening to things at two times speed you can get through it faster <laughs> um the editing process is so when i did the great white shark films those were my first real documentaries and the i developed a method that is completely bizarre but i yeah. can explain the method to you okay um it is not it is not like i plan everything ahead and that i just know i'm going to do this and this and this it's yeah. that i experiment a lot and then things fall into place so what I do, so as you know, I had a set of questions mm -hmm. that we asked uh, John, we asked me, we asked all of our guests, and that I took all of those and I put them into a timeline and I just watched them. Yeah. And, I, and then I go through and I watch them again and I take out the boring parts. 
So if there's a some place where someone just kind of went on a tangent, I cut it out. If someone stumbled over the words, I cut it out. So now I've taken the sequence that maybe it was 20 minutes and I brought it down to 12 minutes. And then I watch it again and then, uh, and then I watch it again and I take out little pieces. And then what starts to happen in my brain is that one thing that one person says relates to something else that the other person says. So I put those next to each other and now there's something that starts to appear. And then I think about, well, you know, like in Amadeus, you talked about this interesting thing. Well, then I go, well, let me find that thing. And then like, for instance, the next thing that it goes into in the sequence you just showed is Scott Mann said, it's the Citizen Kane of uh, Star Trek films. And one of the sections that both you and I talked about in our interviews was our Citizen Kane episodes. Yep. So I went, ah, he's just said Citizen Kane. It would be a natural transition to go and talk about Citizen Kane. And all of that happens organically in, in the process is that I hear you say something and then I hear me say something and then I go, oh, let's put those together, take that piece out, move that over there. And it is just... This, this is one of the many reasons I can't stand having other people with me in the editing room because they would see so clearly that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, you know, <laughs> that I'm just like moving things around until something clicks. And so I cut uh, one of the things I cut that we haven't shown is I cut I'm yeah. cutting an introduction to each of our guests. And one of the, the first one I cut was for Mike Ross. Yeah. And because I cut it a certain way, then I went, oh, well, I think this will be the format for how I cut all the others. So right. cutting the first one taught me how I was going to approach all the other ones. Wow. Um, it's, it is, yeah, it is a weird process, but that's how I do it. Wow. Um, all right. Well, we may have a shot to show some more, Steve, would you be, a pro- would you be opposed to showing any more if I was able to cut something down here or no? Uh, do people, uh, do people want to see a couple more clips? If they do, yeah. it's fine with me. Let us know if you want to see a couple more clips from us. I'm doing some editing as we record this uh, or as we do this live stream and seeing if I can cut down the size of some of these files so I can put them up on the StreamYard. StreamYard limits the size that you can put up videos. So do you guys want to see more? Let me know uh, if you enjoyed that uh, one-minute clip we dropped that Steve edited there and, and created. Let us know if you want to see more from that. Soshar says, hell yeah. Carlos Eduardo says, yeah. Uh, and also, while you're watching this, please hit that like button. We're up to 89 likes and 89 viewers. Okay, I like it. If you're a new viewer, hit that like button. Get us more likes than we have viewers. That would be great as well. Um, all right, Steve, what do we? What question you got? We got some more Streamlabs I can jump into, or if you have something on your yeah, I got I, I got one that's interesting. This is from Matt Young. He okay. asks, "What is the film or films you learned the most from?" <laughs> that is a great question. Um, I could tell. I could tell. Number one, hands down, and it's your answer too. Is Citizen Kane? Yeah. There's yeah. no. There's no movie that has more to teach us still to this day. Yep. And 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 I know. I thought I knew everything about Citizen Kane. And then when we prep for our month of Kane, uh, I learned so much more. It is just an endless supply about editing, sound design, filmmaking, working with actors, storytelling. Mm-hmm camera placement, lighting. I mean, it just, and deep, deep stuff for you to yeah. think about in the yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I would say that one. And I would say 2001, a space odyssey uh, mm. s- sitting down with the three of us, our three different approaches to that incredibly intellectual film uh, was such a blast. And I have to say one of my proudest moments was impressing the crap out of both of you with one of my points. <laughs> oh, you there's, had some great stuff. There's no better, feeling than impressing uh, Steve and Scott 
with uh, one of your points uh, in a uh, in a Cinefaz episode with the three of us because I I totally revere Steve's approach to film because of his uh, uh, technical knowledge and his ability to see so many things in films that I don't. But I also revere Scott's ability to break down a film as a critic. You know, really respect him as someone. You know, you can be overwhelmed by the fact that Scott has all this energy, but don't be fooled that there is an incredible amount of brains behind that energy. And that combo is a rare thing to find in the world, which is why I cherish him as a human being so much and love whenever he comes on our show. Uh, it, it's funny because what, what you've made me think about is that we can approach this idea of learning from film in different ways. So one yep. way is me as kind of the filmmaker guy, I like to learn about filmmaking technique and how did they do it and what was their approach? And that's right. endlessly fascinating to me. But as an audience member, sometimes there's movies where it's just they make you think about stuff. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of my favorite episodes is our episode on crimes and misdemeanors. Oh, yeah. Because there's just so much to talk about, about spirituality and sin and God and the nature of right and wrong and love. And what is it that we need to be happy as a human? And what are what are the bad things we do and how are we self-destructive and all of that discussion? You know, I just never stop learning from things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, man. Great point. Um, all right, let me jump into a stream lab here. Uh, let's see, where do we live off that? Oh, Petson98 says, I want to thank you guys for a great show. You made me finally watch some movies I had my eyes on for a long time. Uh, what are, when are you going to do the masterpiece, The English Patient? Yes, when are we going to do The English Patient? Steve, one of my favorite films ever, and I defend that film to my dying day against the chagrin of many of my friends in this critic-slash-pundit sphere. I have only seen it once and and I saw it in the worst circumstances because I saw it on the DVD job when I was doing a QC on it. So I've seen it with someone and fell in love and they fell out of love with you and you were that also happened. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I've seen it, but I don't really remember it very well. So I I think it'd be a really fun one to do. I agree. A thousand thousand million percent. So I'd like to make that happen myself personally. So thank you so much. All right. uh, What's your, what, uh, what question you got on your end? Uh, uh, this is one I've heard you talk about a lot on the Geek oh. Buddies, but where does the movie theater industry go from here? What will it take to get butts back in seats? Uh, it's over, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to break it to you. It's over. I think uh, I think we'll, but I think we need to see first. We need to see. Okay, let me take this down because I'm getting a little bit of a headache. Here's what <laughs> I would say to you. Um, I'm, hand, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm juggling four different balls at the same time, but like, I, 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 here's what I'll say to you. Um, if Wonder Woman and Black Widow get released in the theater and people don't go in droves to see these movies, then I think we might be looking at the end of the movie theater business as we've known it. That being said, the other possibility is that a vaccine comes out. We all can use the vaccine if we need it when we get this COVID situation. uh, And that makes people feel more comfortable to come back to the theater again. Right now, people are not willing to risk themselves, A, because people are losing their jobs left and right. People are unemployed. People are, uh, I mean, sorry, the unemployment's running out for some people who've been on it for a little bit. Um, It's difficult to put food on the table. It's difficult to do anything, to pay for anything. Some people are trying really hard not to get evicted, not to get kicked out of their homes. So the last thing they want to do is take a chance to go to a theater and possibly get infected by COVID uh, right now, uh, no matter what the movie is. So I need to see how people react if they release Wonder Woman or Black Widow in the theater. I got to see how people are going to react. Wonder Woman got delayed. Uh, Black Widow has been pushed as well. Uh, Bond right now is still sitting on November 20th. I don't know if they've moved yet. 
but if they don't move and Bond comes out, that's another litmus test. And that one only makes like $20 million, twenty, which is what um, uh, a tenant has made domestically, then I think we're in a lot of trouble. Not foreign-wise, because foreign-wise, tenant is doing fine. Domestically, we're in some trouble. That's what I would say. It's funny. I A year ago or more, I heard you talking about, and maybe we had the conversation about movie theaters, and you were saying at the time that there's going to be a split between like event movies and they'll be in theaters, yeah. and all the small theaters are going to close and everything else will be home. And I went, no, that's not going to happen. Right. And then COVID hit. And I think your words were sadly prophetic. I think that we're going to see massive, massive shutdowns in the movie theater business. I, I, I do think, by the way, everyone, we are going to come out on the other side of this virus. Sure. It's not going to be here forever. We are going to develop a vaccine. We are going to get herd immunity. We are going to be able to see each other again and go to restaurants and go to bars. That's all going to happen. But it might be a few years. And those few years might mean the death of uh, movie theaters or a lot of them and a lot of restaurants and things like that. And I think that culturally we'll change. Yeah. Uh, you know, And I think that much like we're suddenly realizing we can do all these things from home. I mean, John and I used to meet every episode of the cinephiles and now we do it remotely. And I don't think there's been any change in the quality of the show. I think the shows remained exactly the same. And so I think much like businesses are going to have to rethink how they do things. Schools are going to have to rethink how they do things. The food industry is changing. All these industries are changing. And there's no question in my mind that the movie theater industry is going to be radically changed. And I do hope, that there's someday we can get back in the movie theaters together because I love going to the movies, yeah. but it's going to be different. Steve, you're completely incorrect. There'll be a vaccine, <laughs> There'll be a vaccine by uh, October at the latest. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, it'll come right on time on November 3rd. The morning of November 3rd, everyone will have a vaccine so they can vote. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts to see uh, until we get a vaccine. I don't think we can say anything about anything or make any kind of uh, judgments about the possibility because it seems absolutely nuts to me right now um, what we're seeing from people. And people are afraid and, and rightfully yeah. so. Rightfully yeah. so. Um, all right. Uh, do you have it? Was it do I am I next on the question asking? I think uh, you are if you have one. Yes. Uh, Ellie Troy. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Matthew Kearns. Hey, Matthew. Thank you so much, Matt. It's good to see you, brother. He said, hey, guys, just wanted to thank you for the Cinephiles, my favorite podcast. And Steve, I can verify, Matthew loves our show. Thank you, Matthew. He says, you guys get me through the tough days of work. Any suggestions for me as I start work on my first podcast? Oh, Steve. Well, well, unlike my uh, advice to someone who wants to break into the film industry, I will not (laughs) say don't do it. I think... um, I think be clear on what you want it to be, you know, like, and and now it's not that the cinephiles obviously evolved a great deal, um, but we still had kind of a vision of, of what we wanted it to be. I think I've heard a lot of kind of new podcasts getting started where, well, I kind of want to talk about this and I kind of want to talk about this and I want it to be an interview show, but I also want it to be that you need to kind of go like, well, what am I bringing to this podcast world? You know, what kind of things do I want to do? Because in the end, th- this is a very intimate art form. Yeah. And the, um, it, it, you know, it, it's so much, this podcast is me and John. Yeah. And so, and what we want to say. So in other 
areas of the entertainment industry, you have all sorts of other people that are going to have their opinions in it. Mm -hmm. This is just you. So it really has to be like, well, what do I want to say? Yeah. And really think about that clearly uh, when you get started. And don't be afraid to fail. That's the number yeah. one thing. When I started doing my Outlaw Nation uh, YouTube channel, I was so petrified about every video I made thinking I was gonna, it was going to be ridiculed. People were going to make fun of me. I was going to come off as stupid. You get scared and you get worried. And the truth is, you just got to put your balls out there and let them swing, man, and, and see what happens. <laughs> That's what I say. And, and the truth is, and you got to be okay with, like, falling on your face because guess what? Everybody falls on their face the first time. It's part of you're doing something new, and you got to learn. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open to learn. Learn to, dis to, to um, distinguish between constructive criticism and useless criticism. Learn that, and then listen to yourself. Always, I always re-listen. When I first started out with any podcast, I'm always re-listening to it to see what can work, what doesn't work, what's effective about it, what isn't effective about it. And that makes all the difference, to be honest with you. I, I think that's a great point. And that's true for every single art. If you're not going, how do I make it better? Yeah. Then you're, you're not doing it right. Like the, the great Steve Jobs, I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but it's basically like our job is to make all of our products obsolete. Is that... <laughs> is that we want to go, we put out a great product and then we want to figure out how to make a new product that is going to be so much better that you don't want that old product anymore. Right. Like I continually ask, how are we going to make the Cinephiles better? Yep. And it's not that I'm not proud of the show. I think the show is, I'm really proud of it. I think it's yep. really strong. Yep. And I'm continually thinking about what can we do? What else can we do? I mean, that's part of where this 200th episode came from is going like, well, what else could we do? Yeah, yeah, agreed. 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 And Matt, it's not going to end with you just releasing it. You're going to spend, oh, yeah. you're going to obsess about it and think about how, I mean, I'm still, I, I left Schmodown backstage that show so that I could have more time to do new, interesting content on the Outlaw Nation YouTube channel because I want to elevate it and, you know, kind of get more viewers and more listeners on it, more eyes on it because I, because I think that's the way to advance it. So it's just going to, it's going to obsess, it's going to be part of your life and it's going to uh, be an obsession of yours. All right. What do you got, Steve? Uh, this is coming off of Instagram, and this is the, the name is Echo Long Novels, I think. Uh, and he asks, What is our single favorite plot twist in a film? <laughs> there's so many good ones. Um, you know, there's things like Fight Club and yeah. discovering that this is one person, or The Sixth Sense is obviously one of the great twists of at the end of any movie ever. Yeah. There's, um, you know, the, the suddenly in the middle of Psycho, the movie is a completely different movie. Um, yeah, there, there, there's, oh man, Parasite goes to places that, oh, yeah. I don't know if you call it a twist, but it goes to places where like, what is this movie about now? Yeah. 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 I was going to say Smithy's answer here, Alan Smithy, the crying game, the crying game. Oh, was sure. twist. That was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were just like, holy crap. And it really asked a lot of you as the viewer. Cause your initial, I mean, it's my initial reaction was, oh, whoa, what is that? Uh, and then you're like, oh, why is this a problem for you to see that? And that's it, it makes you look at yourself. Exactly. And I love that about the crying game, as opposed to Ace Ventura, who made fun of it. So, uh, all right. What's the uh, uh, what's the next? Oh, no, I got one here for Streamlab. Let me jump into it here. Uh, it's from Ellie Troy it says, uh, I enjoy the films of Bogdanovich and Platt. I admit picture shows greatness, but I love their first film uh, targets and feel the film is uh, so is has so sadly accurate 
Wow, this is, I'm sorry, this is tough to read. It's a little bit uh, jumbled here. Let me try it again. I enjoy the films of Bogdanovich and Platt. I admit picture shows greatness, but I love their first film targets and feel the film has is so sadly accurate. Who has a standing masterpiece that you think overshadows a better, almost unseen gem of a film of theirs? Hmm. Um, first of all, that overshadows. All right, go ahead. Um, I've never seen Targets. I, oh. I, I've seen a bunch of other Bogdanovich, and I think he is one of those, like, you know, burns fast and goes out soon kind oh, of yeah. directors, where it's like there's a few films where you're like, oh my God, this is one of the great new geniuses in filmmaking. Yeah. And then a whole bunch of other movies you're kind of like, eh. Um, <laughs> William Friedkin, uh, Walter Hill. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to think of movies where the second best or another one other than their top. I mean, you know, my favorite Tarantino is still probably Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. You know, um, the I'm, I'm just now trying to go through movies. Mm. Uh, this is this is this is where my brain is not very good. Is coming up with lists. This is why I didn't make the top ten show. You know, I had one when I, I, I lost, and then I lost it. You could argue uh, King of Comedy is a gem of a film that people don't uh, talk about in the same breath as uh, Goodfellas or as Raging Bull or as some of his other most more notable films. Yet it's around that time when he's creating some of his best work that he mm -hmm. comes up with King of Comedy. King of Comedy in twenty twenty. And I argue in 2021, I argue in 2025, 2030, we'll still, we'll still feel topical and pressing. The idea of a fan who won't take no for an answer and is willing to do whatever it takes to get there and not even in a necessarily overtly mean way, but certainly in a determined way uh, to get what he thinks or she thinks they deserve. And then when they get it, it's one of the most unsettling endings of any film. And so uh, to me, I think that's, uh, Taxi Driver overshadows King of Comedy as well, and I think King of Comedy is just as unsettling as Taxi Driver uh, in different ways. It might be more unsettling than Taxi Driver. <laughs> That's fair, too. I, I mean, I don't know why, but there's something... I, I think I've only seen King of Comedy twice um, because wow. I found it so... Uh, it's Because the difference between King and... Taxi Driver, you're getting into some rough stuff yes, and craziness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. King of Comedy is incredibly uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> I think, you know what I mean? Like It's it just is. a different experience. Yeah, because um, I mean, all of us think we can do something that someone else is doing really well. All of us think we can do that. And it's, yeah. it's just like, how much of Rupert Pupkin is inside of us? And how much of us wish we could do what Rupert Pupkin does to achieve what he achieves in the film? So it's do, crazy. Do you know uh, about the uh, about Dunning-Kruger, the Dunning-Kruger effect or the Dunning-Kruger study? No, this is one of the great things ever. And it totally relates to Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> this is the, there's a big study. It's been very well documented and very you know, the results repeated really well that someone's ability to judge their ability at something depends on how good they are at that thing. So I know that sounds totally bizarre, but here's what it means is that you ask someone, how good a driver are you? Yeah. And they say, I'm an excellent driver. I'm an average driver, whatever it is. The excellent. accuracy of their statement depends upon how good a driver they are. Oh. So a race car driver can tell you exactly how good a driver they are. Yeah. Oh, I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. This is where, and they will be extremely accurate. A terrible driver has no idea how good a driver they are. They might say they're an excellent driver. And so Rupert Pupkin, or you look at, I remember watching American Idol or any of these shows where someone's like, I know I'm going to be a star. I can feel it. Well, their ability to judge their ability depends on how good they are at it, which is why you can have someone who's terrible at a thing think they're awesome.
And this is sort of a chilling thing to think about because we all have to assess our own ability at a thing. And you go, oh, if I really suck at it, then my assessment is terrible. I don't know how good I am at that. I'm a great president. I'm so fantastic. You know, exactly. It's a case in point. Yeah. Case in point. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, do you have a question or is it my turn? I, I, okay. I, I have a statement, okay. oh, which statement. is just, uh, I'll just say thank you, which is that, um, let's see if I can find it here. Um, uh, Jonathan Stubbs says that I have the most comfortable looking recording area they've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. This is the old garage of my 1916 house. This was a complete shack and I have footage uh, and stills because some of the footage has been lost of John Roca being tortured in here <laughs> in 2002 before it was an office. And one of the people torturing him is oh. cinephile guest, Steve Jones. Yes. Yes. In, in in our very long ago, uh, I made one of the first web series ever called Siren. It was made in 2000. And uh, then we did this interactive thing called Operation Siren that went to Sundance. And so John was in that. He played uh, a, a federal agent, I think. He was awesome, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah, you should put that in the document. <laughs> you should make that a special feature in the document. Oh, there you go. Thanks. I can. I can. <laughs> Uh, great stuff. Yeah, I remember. Hey, if I, hey, John, if I send you a still, can you put it up? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, I'll, I'll send it to you. Uh, all right, let's move on. And we, I gotta, we gotta wrap this up in the next twenty minutes. So let me see here. Um, all right, Joseph Curran says, "Hey guys, thank you so much for this show. It has increased my love of film tenfold. Oh, that's great. Oh, Joseph. that's a big number. It is. Uh, will you guys ever do Schindler's List? I recently wrote down my top one hundred films of all time, and that topped my personal list." I'd love to hear y'all's insight on that one. Well, uh, here's what I say. Um, I would love to do Schindler's List. Uh, and Steve, of course, being Jewish, I think it would be an even more incredible uh, um, episode to do. But I also think I'd love to do it with someone from the, um, is it Simon Wiesenthal? Uh, center or yeah, sure, the Museum of Tolerance. Yeah, or Museum of Tolerance. I'd love to have someone on with us who understands our show and would be willing to sit with us and go through that film because I got a feeling that both Steve and I are gonna like just lose it in, in a number of moments in that film as we talk about it. And I feel like having someone there who can explain the history of it all, explain the context of it all, I think would be very uh, powerful, a uh, powerful episode for us to do. So, again, this is a movie I've only seen twice. Um, I think it's an incredible film. There's no question in my mind we're going to do it. It's also a movie that I approach with a lot of trepidation for, for two reasons. And, and one is, I think this came up um, years ago when we did Judgment in Nuremberg, is that, which I had never seen before we did the podcast, is that I was pretty well, I would say, indoctrinated into information about the Holocaust. As a Jewish kid at Temple, I saw those films at a very young age. I've seen a lot of stuff. I've read Elie Wiesel. I've read a lot of books. I don't seek it out. You know what I mean? I know what happened. I, I, I know a lot about what happened, and it's extremely painful, of course. And, and, and there are certain films that we've done where I've gone, I always prep for the film, whatever it is, I'm going to put in the research. But there's some films that I take a lot more seriously. So when we, as we've announced, we're going to have a whole month of Coppola and the Godfather or more, that's going to be a lot of work for me and to, to really prep for. And when we do Schindler's List, that's good. That's real serious. And, and I will feel 
very strongly that we have to do it justice. And I really love your idea of bringing in an expert to help us discuss it. It's obviously an incredible film, and it's about something that's really, really important. Maybe we can get Spielberg. Break our rule about having a director talk about their piece. If Spielberg wants to come, he he can come. (laughs) They will go to Spielberg. I think we will go to him. Uh, well, uh, before we bring the podcast two down, uh, let's uh, or the show two down. Let's um, play a clip from the Mike Ross uh, oh. section oh, of the Cinephile. This is going to be great. Take a listen or take a walk. Hello and welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where we have survived stomach viruses, sick kids, difficult travel plans, stressful holiday parties, and New Year's Eve, and oh my God. Nobody survived. <laughs> Jesus. What is wrong with you? The show has been instantly derailed. My, <laughs> my name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> Michael Ross. There's nothing like having Mike Ross on the show. You, you missed one thing in my, in my credits. Super, super fan of the cinephiles. Uh, Michael Ross is where the, we've already gone off the cliff. And he... He is calmly trying to have a conversation with us as we're careening to our deaths, uh, Thelma and Louise style, and I love it. Here, you, here we go. Oh. It's the most challenging. It is the most funny. The most unpredictable. Oh, no, no, no. It was a joke. No, it was a joke. Totally a joke. I am never more alive doing a cinephile show than I am with Mike Ross because I have no idea what he's going to say, what to expect. I sit you in that clockwork orange chair, and I'm just like, it's like this weird meta experience and particularly like we did uh, Christmas vacation. I, that show felt completely out of control. <laughs> like I, you know, I'm trying to do my regular cinephile thing that I do every week. That's very prepared and very organized. And no, that is not going to happen. The show is going to go where the show is going to go. And I was grumpy about it. And then I listened to the show. That show is so funny. They in, distinctly make sense in the weirdest of ways, and you just can't help but marvel uh, at Ross's intelligence. And I love it when he's on, because Steve and I are never more like, I don't know what's going to happen than we are when Mike Ross is on the show. He's challenging, he's hilarious, and I think it is an incredible change of pace from what the cinephiles usually is. How? Really? I'm like, oh, oh maybe I am a cinephile. <laughs> oh man we're so this that's great i love that that was great by the way it's so weird to be sitting here talking to you over youtube and then cut to us talking yeah. to each other in the same positions in the same room i'm wearing a different shirt but other than that <laughs> i'm wearing a better shirt that shirt was uh i sent that one back from amazon uh all right we've got a bunch of things we got to run. We got a bunch of streamers we need to run through Steve before I got to get out of here. So, um, cause I have something at four. Uh, do you have a bunch no, of, qu- I think I've used questions? all mine up. Okay. Let me run through these. Then we'll answer them as quickly as we can. So 1999. Thank you so much. Said I devour film pa- podcasts. What are some of your faves? Check out Brett Goldstein's films to be buried with. He's an English actor, comedian, cinephile who's recently appeared in Ted Lasso. Great stuff. Yes, Brett Goldstein is someone who I absolutely love and admire. I did not know he had a podcast. I remember watching him as an actor in this British series called Uncle, a very funny sitcom called Uncle. And then he was in he's in Ted Lasso, which is an incredible show. If you haven't watched Ted Lasso, if you want to smile on your face, watch Ted Lasso. Brett is great in it. So one of my uh, goals now is to reach out to Brett 
to get an interview with him on uh, uh, the Outlaw Nation and then eventually maybe ask him to be a guest on the Cinephiles uh, for whatever film he wants to talk about. But his podcast is incredible. Steve, do you listen to other podcasts about films? Uh, the only entertainment podcasts I listen to are the Top Ten and the Geek Buddies. <laughs> well, that's very kind, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, I don't really listen to a lot of other movie ones. There have been yeah. some. What's funny is after we started the Cinephiles, there were some that popped up that sounded very much like the Cinephiles yeah. and I, from big, big places, like much yeah. bigger than us. And I listened to a few of them, and I was like, nope, I don't need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ours is better. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Sean Brennan said, uh, loved your episode of Major League. What is your favorite sport film you haven't coveted yet? Oh, you haven't covered yet. A favorite well, sport I, I like the one I haven't coveted. Is that, <laughs> isn't that, is that the fifth commandment? Thou shalt not cover, covet another sports film? Fifth is steal or kill. Oh, but anyway, all right. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch. You know what ones I love? Uh, and this might actually be an answer to a previous question. I love all of the uh, Bull Durham, uh, oh, White yeah. Man Can't Jump, and Tin Cup. And what's interesting is the most, the one is probably the most famous is Bull Durham. Yeah. That's not my favorite. Okay. I, no. I love Tin Cup. Yeah, Tin, Cup's great. I, Tin Cup just makes me laugh the whole way through. I would love to do that. And I, I, I think there's some deep wisdom in White Men Can't Jump. Yeah. You know? Sometimes when I'm thirsty, this is it. That's it. Sometimes when I'm thirsty, I want a drink of water. Sometimes when I'm thirsty, I just want you to uh, acknowledge that I'm thirsty. To appreciate my dry mouthedness. Appreciate my dry mouth. That line completely changed my mind about women at 22 years old when I saw that movie for the first time. Me too. I sat there and I was like, fuck. I had never thought of it that way. So incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, I would say, have we done Cinderella, man? No. That is one that I would love for us to do as a favorite sport film. Steve, uh, Breaking Away, Steve's fa- one of Steve's favorites. We could throw that in there as we spoke about earlier. Uh, but I don't know. Have we done Raging Bull yet? Did we do no, we, 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 it's okay. gone on. So, someone else asked, I think I saw, like, how do we pick what episode of the Cinephiles, what we're yeah. going to do next? And it's just so haphazard. Yeah. And what happens frequently is we put something on the schedule. For instance, there's a Western that's been on the schedule oh for five months and then because someone dies and because we get an opportunity with a guest or something else happens yeah, yeah. it keeps getting pushed away raging bull has been one that i think we there's at least three times that we were about to do it yeah. and then we didn't do it for one reason or another um yeah it's definitely one we should do absolutely steve knows i'd, I'd like to redo hoosiers one time now uh anyway james Dude, Kane- it's a good it's a good episode it, you know and James King says, love you guys. Have been subscribed in a patron from day one. Oh, thank you, James. Um, excited for episode 200. Quick question. Movie that's made you cry most recently. For me, the most recent has been Endgame, especially after having uh, Chad's death. Oh, Chadwick Boseman, right. Love, love that he appears first. Um, all right. Uh, what do you say there, Steve? Do you have a, um, a film that's made you cry most recently? Um, well, in preparation for uh, talking about Chadwick Boseman, I watched two movies that I hadn't seen that I should have, which oh. is 42 and Marshall. Um, and while I like Marshall much better than 42, Great. I think 42, 42 made me cry. There's like two scenes in there where it's like, that is the scene that's going to make me cry. And it did. Um, yeah. I like it too. 42 uh, is, is an okay movie. I agree. Okay. Marshall's a better movie. 
But uh, the great Lucas Black uh, puts his arm around Chadwick Boseman. A lot of us know who Lucas Black is now after the Schmodown situation. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, for me, it has to be uh, – God, it's been a while, but probably yesterday. Um, that scene where he sees uh, – I'm not going to ruin it, but he has a scene with a certain beetle. I can't, I can't watch that scene without crying every time at the end. When his joy that a certain beetle uh, is mm-hmm. still around – and then the wisdom that that certain beetle imparts on him. I love that scene. And I knew I was working for the wrong man when that per- my bo- when that boss came up to me one day and said, I just saw that uh, movie yesterday. That scene with that beetle is stupid. doesn't work for me at all. And that's what I knew. The man had no heart. It was black as night. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. The next, uh, let's see. The next uh, Streamlab is from James underscore Kang again. He says, what do you think of cancel culture nowadays? I think movies from people who have made mistakes or have horrible views on other things on others are things we need to at least still have around so we can be educated on their wrong views, not remove completely. Steve. Well, I would say if you want to hear my thoughts on cancel culture, you can go just earlier in, uh, and we have a whole hour long conversation with me and the geek buddies, which by the way, I listened to the latest geek buddies episode. It almost sounded like Michael Vogel had some concerns about cancel culture. (laughs) All Um, of a sudden, all of a sudden, I, I, I am a firm believer in free speech and I am a firm believer that people are allowed to be wrong. So I, I have definite concerns about it. It's not that I don't share some of the values that we're talking about, but I don't think that saying one wrong thing or even having a point of view that is something that I really don't like should mean that someone should be canceled. Yeah. Um, I don't believe in cancel culture. I don't think it exists. Uh, I think what it is is someone uh, gets found out about the shit they've been doing, uh, doesn't adequately apologize uh, and then that person is uh, immediately removed or whatever, or, you know, people stop patronizing their work. I don't know, removed, but some people start patronizing their work. And guess what? That's called uh, uh, supply and demand. You su- if you have a supply and then demand dries up for your supply, guess what? You can't keep going. So that's just how it works to me. I don't believe in cancel culture. I'll never believe in cancel culture. I think it's one of those stupid phrases that people come up with to, to be uh, to easily dissect a situation. And it's ridiculous to me. There is no such thing as cancel culture. There is people who don't like what you do and people who do like what you do and people who find out what you've done and don't like what you do anymore, as is their right, as is their right as human beings. And it's their right to like it or not like it. It's their right to put it on their TV uh, uh, channel or network or not. It's their right to keep it uh, as something that can be purchased by the studio. It's their right, and it's their right not to make that thing available. So I just don't. Um, I, I'm not a cancel culture person. I don't believe in it. I have far more concern about what this happens to people that are not stars. You know, there's yeah, a big sure. difference between you know J.K. Rowling and. Right like the bar that's down the hill of mine that had to was almost shut down and had to change their name because of something that happened at that bar, Mm. you know, like they had like a a bunch of proud boys went to the bar and were immediately ejected because the, the manager wasn't there and the assistant manager didn't know who they were and then found out who they were halfway through. And it went out that this had happened. And then they got, you know, 10,000 one star Yelp reviews and the bar had to shut down. You know, and it's like, that's crazy. And that is cancel culture and it, and it does exist. And that is not fair. That's your opinion. Uh, All right. uh, Just as it's mine. Um, 
Okay, Jandra G says, I love JJ's treks and even enjoy Into Darkness. What do you love most about them and where do you think you went wrong with Into Darkness? What should have been done what should have been done differently besides not remaking Khan? Will we see more of this series one day or is it dead, Steve? Well, someone already asked about whether or not it was dead, and I can't predict whether or not there's going to be more of it. I love the cast. I think the first movie, they got the spirit of it correct. I have only seen Into Darkness once, and if I watched it again, I could do a long diatribe on everything that's wrong with it, which is considerable. But what I will say is, it, in my memory, is that A, it makes no sense. B, redoing Khan is just... It's horrible on every single level. It's the yeah. worst possible kind of fan service. And it goes like, well, oh, so we killed this person this time. We'll kill the other person this time. And we'll do, and it's like, look, the difference between Shatner and Nimoy and 30 years of history before you get to Wrath of Khan yeah, yeah. And, and JJ's Kirk and Spock, they just met. Yeah. It's just not the same. And it's yeah. like, there's so much stupid stuff in that movie that you, th and, 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 you know, it is a perfect example of what's wrong with J.J. Abrams. You know, he's, he's extremely talented, a really great director in lots of ways, but he cannot stick a landing. He doesn't, uh, he can introduce unbelievably interesting stuff and he re regularly does not know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, uh, I like Into Darkness. Uh, I get why people ba uh, uh, bang on it. And I, and yeah, I don't like the con moment. It's absolutely horrible. As someone who loves Wrath of Khan, uh, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, I agree a thousand percent with Steve said, it's not earned. It's not an earned moment in any way, shape or form. One movie with these guys is not enough to have the 30 years of friendship that we get with Kirk and Spock in that moment that devastates us when we watch that movie. So this sequence doesn't work, but everything else, I really enjoy the action. I love the technology. I love the idea of Peter Weller being a part of this. I don't think the Alice Eve moment with her in the brawn panties is absolutely necessary in any way, shape, or form. That would not fly in 2020 for sure. Uh, but like, but there's a lot of it that I enjoy watching, uh, and I think the sound design on that is pretty incredible as well. Beyond is horrible to me. I know people say, oh, it's just a glorified episode of the TV show. Well, it's a TV show I don't want to watch. Uh, so that's what I would say with that. Um, uh, people are going on uh, about the cancel culture. So, so let me. I think I need to flesh this out one more time for myself, Steve. Sure. Are people being are people being um, unfairly vilified like your bar like the bar you spoke about? Yes. Are people overreactionary and they're not thinking about the power that they have in sending in their reviews and sending in their kinds of things at somebody? Sure. But I think the idea of someone being found out or someone uh, being named or someone's opinion being opinion that's an offensive opinion, therefore people don't want to support their product and protest. Uh, and ask people to remove their product that's been around since the dawn of time so cancel culture quote unquote is not something new it's been around forever it's been around forever and people have always been able to wield the power of protest and vote uh and uh, uh reviews or what have you uh in their own ways and in their own methods uh back in the 1800s 1700s word of mouth right it's word of mouth you live and die by word of mouth so it's always been around it's not something new it's just we see it be way more way more powerful than it used to be i guess um, way, more immediate, way more immediate than it used to be sorry well that's what that's the thing um i'll say this really quick and then and then i know yeah. we need to wrap up yeah. but to me it's like you know saying well what's the problem with burning carbon 
we've been burning carbon since the beginning of ma of man. We've, we've taken wood and we burnt it and went into the atmosphere. What's the problem? Well, the problem is, is that we, with our technology, we have the power to burn so much more carbon that it is literally changing the climate of the planet. Right. It's everything you say is exactly true. People have always had opinions. People have always yeah. decided they didn't watch or listen to things, but they didn't have social media. Is right. that's the difference? Is the power and and the speed is so completely different. You know, there's mm -hmm. the kid in uh, the mall who had the MAGA hat and had that facial expression yeah. Yeah. at the Native American guy, and people saw that picture and they decided this is who that kid is. Yeah. Well. And then later on, we found out the circumstances were far more complicated than that. Now, I know the kid uh, did a speech at the Republican National Convention, and he's fully a MAGA guy. But the point of looking at a photograph and destroying someone's life is not right. It's wrong. You know, and he's a 16-year-old kid, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, he might have. And, and now, as he starts to do things and make choices in life, well, we can decide how we feel about those choices. But yeah. taking one event from per a person or one thing that they said and defining that person for the rest of their life, I have a problem with. Yeah, I have a problem with it. See the statement, cancel culture is a part of the woke culture. I don't know if I agree with that idea. I don't know this idea of, you know, the woke culture, woke culture drives me nuts too. Woke is about, people have turned it into a terrible thing. And, uh, you know, it's the idea of waking up to the racism, the misogyny, the sexism, um, the classism that's existed in our world and people trying to denigrate woke being woke or whatever. And it's trying to make it terrible as if it's, if it's, if it's wrong to uh, be aware of this kind of stuff and to make changes about this kind of stuff. And I find that people who denigrate woke culture um, are doing a disservice to the fight against racism and sexism and misogyny and classism in the world. So I find that I just, I think that's dangerous to me. So in my opinion, I, I I think what what's unfortunate, and and this is what's unfortunate about the world right now, yeah, is that is that these phrases are used as a wedge exactly. to divide us, yes. and so, and this is why I believe you know America is about having a multiplicity of ideas. It's about yes. having people with different people that say right. this is America or this is America that are missing the whole damn point. Right. Is that yeah? I mean, it's like if you were going to describe what my politics are, my views are, they'd be right in there with that woke culture, social justice warrior, whatever you want to call it. But I don't feel, while I believe that I'm right, I also believe that other people get to have their opinion. And yeah. that the only way to heal the fucking horribleness that exists in our country right now is that we have to not use wedges and we have to reach out to the other side. We have to be able to have conversations and find some shared values. And these terms like SJW and woke culture and can yeah. you know, all these terms are dividing us. Yeah. And so that's why I continue to go back to like, I'm pro-choice. But I can understand why someone might be pro-life. And that doesn't right. mean that they're an evil person. That means they have a different perspective. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, it's like having concerns about immigration policy in the United States doesn't make you a racist. Right. It's a big part of our economy. It's a big part of there's things about it, you know. And so we have and, and what 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 has happened in the last, you know, many years is that all of these conversations have been shut down. Yeah. Because as soon as you say something, the other side says, no. And we yeah, have to stop doing that. The other side denigrates it, calls it woke, calls it, uh, you know. But, but, our, but our side culture. doesn't say, and our side calls, you know, you're a racist, you're a, you're this, yeah. you're a misogynist, you're, you know, you're supporting a rapist, you know, and then, and those are conversation enders. They're not conversation starters. Right. I, okay. All right.
Um, I know we've gone on a long time. I know yeah. we have to end it one more time. I just want to say that in support of this Black Panther episode, yes. we've got a charity that we're supporting. We're fundraising for the National Children's Cancer Society. You can go to, um, I'll, I'll read out the uh, the address again one more time. It's nc.the, the NCCS, National Children's Cancer Society, dot org, slash donate, slash Black Panther, this is in honor of Chadwick Boseman. If we could raise three thousand dollars, we got a matching grant come to come in that'll go all the way up to ten grand. So if fans of the Cinephiles can raise ten thousand dollars, our anonymous donor is going to put in an extra ten thousand dollars to help families dealing with kids that have cancer. Beautiful thing they're doing. If we're going to break uh, this ten-year uh, thing that we've had for so long, Steve, this is the movie to do it for, and this is uh, sadly this is the. The loss of this is the right person to do this for with Chadwick yep. Boseman after his passing, uh, after so bravely fighting off cancer for four years. So uh, here is I think this is the address here. I'm putting it up. So I'm going to put it up here. There we go. Donate yep. at the National Children's Cancer Society. And please mention the Cinephiles if you can mention the Cinephiles if you can. All right. We got three more and let's roll through or two more. Let's roll through this. Um uh, Alan Smithy, thank you, Alan, for another donation. Hi, John and Steve. My question is, how much are filmmakers responsible for the effect their films have on an audience? If a film leads to world peace, the director will claim that was the point. But if it inspires violence, the, film pick, the filmmaker says it's not their fault. Yeah. That's a real, I think that's a, a pretty good observation. I, I think that's pretty normal of humans to take credit for the good stuff and to avoid <laughs> credit for the bad stuff. That's right. Um, I I do believe that filmmakers, just as I was saying earlier, that filmmakers have a responsibility for how they treat their casts and crew. I do believe filmmakers have a responsibility for the messages they put out into the world. Um, And it's real tough because I do want filmmakers to be able to explore difficult issues in difficult ways. You know, so, you know, you look at like Fight Club is one we talked about where there were a lot of people that took the message of that, of men should be men and go be violent and destructive and destroy stuff. That was not the message of the movie, but people took yeah. it that way. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're a filmmaker who's taking credit for your film causing world peace, you really need to check your ego. The second part of it all is, yeah, a filmmaker will actually get out of the situation um, about their song, about their film inspiring violence. Remember the Drowning Pool song, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor? They, they ripped that away after 9 11. Um, and Kesha wrote it, Kesha helped write that song or one of those songs and then claimed to not have anything to do with it. And it's like, they just got to own up to everything. You got to own up to everything and the intention behind it, you know. But then maybe that's another example of uh, quote unquote cancel culture this idea of not wanting to be attached to that because that could ruin their career you know what i'm saying even though they fully participated in it so did, did you hear situation. did you hear ice tea on uh, mark Marin? no i have not heard that one yet no. really good one he talks a lot about cop killer and all that and oh, i think yeah. and that definitely it's, it's well worth listening to it definitely gets into some of these issues i used to have that i remember i had that on a cd single uh raul underscore dorazwami has our last stream live here before we wrap up steve has talked a few times in the past about quote great films that ruined hollywood are there any more recent movies that you might put into this category and why, Steve? I will, yes, I will, I will add some. And I will say the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. How dare you, sir? Well, because this is what, because what the, the, to explain the definition of this is that there's certain movies that 
are so successful and so great that they transform the way things happen after them in ways that aren't necessarily good. So Jaws and Star Wars being classic examples or Die Hard, where it, you know, that ended 70s filmmaking. And then, you know, people started looking for the, uh, the property, the serial, the sequel. They wanted to look Raiders of the Lost Ark and Die Hard made us look for nonstop action. And Science of the Lambs is when we talked about that introduced this idea of the serial killer, which is now just everywhere with all this crap. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has told Hollywood that this is what you need. You need not just a movie and not just a couple of sequels, but a whole universe. And now we have these all these places trying to create them rather than trying to make just good movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, but is that all right? Is who are you? Who are you blaming for that one? Hollywood. Hollywood. Because that's the thing. It's like, I don't, Steven Spielberg made Jaws. I love Jaws. One of my favorite movies. That's the whole point. It's great movies. I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done an amazing job. And because they've done such an amazing job, you have Warner Brothers scrambling to try to reproduce it and failing consistently. Because and part of the key to this is not understanding what it is that made that thing great in the first place. Right. You know, right. You know, like Orca did not understand why Jaws is a good movie, but there are a whole bunch of movies like Orca trying to be like Jaws and they're imitating the surface, which is, oh, there's a big fish that's killing people. You know, they miss the good stuff. <laughs> How dare you about Orca? That's such a, that's such a crime, man. Uh, uh, Steve, filibuster for about two, uh, for about 30 seconds. I'm going to create something real quick here. Uh, that you asked. Uh, I mean, I, I forgot to check oh, the email no. that's come in. So okay, well, well, I will be happy to filibuster. It's been great talking to everyone here. Please support uh, the uh, National Children's Cancer Society. It's a great cause. And what I believe that John is about to show you is stills from the 2003 Operation Siren that went to Sundance. And by the way. Siren, one of the first web series ever made, directed by me, is uh, that a bunch of people actually involved in the cinephiles actually appear in, is still on YouTube. You might be able to find it. I'm not saying it's great, but uh, it is. It is. It exists. It's something. That's yeah. for sure. And it was fun to be a part of it. And it was yeah. fun to get made up for it. Um, and um, uh, which you guys see. And I can't believe this is 2002. I can't believe how quickly time has gone by. Right. Uh, in life, man, because it's because uh, I don't think I look a day older than I did when I was shooting. This I thing, think but, you yeah. look pretty much the same. <laughs> That's scary to think about on so many levels. Uh, all right. Let me post one of them. Uh, without, uh, I guess I have to take down this uh, thing here. Uh, okay, Orca. Haha, <laughs> man, that would freak me out. Yeah, the baby <laughs> scene at the beginning when the baby. I have no memory is, of it. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Here we go. There it is, 2002. There I am being tortured uh, by uh, our friend Eddie Bowles, who is yep. working on his lines while I'm dying. Uh, <laughs> no sympathy for my situation there. Uh, and then here's Eddie Bowles and our friend Steve Jones, who's been a guest on the Cinephiles. There I'm looking at them going, how much more can I be tortured here, fellas? <laughs> and all of that is occurring uh, in Steve, where Steve is recording. It's literally time. right where I am. Uh, it's right behind me is where that's happening uh, yeah. 18 years ago. Wow. Insane. Insane to think about. Uh, but yeah, a lot of fun. One more time. There you go. That's uh, <laughs> me and Eddie getting, uh, getting beat up. Uh, so much fun. Um, and as you can tell, I hadn't run a one one mile in my life. So I'm so happy 
getting that shot. Anyway, all right, then let's wrap this up because I got to jump into a, a live stream at four on my channel. Uh, completely Jeez. different, a pro wrestling show, uh, strong style at four o'clock over there on the Outlaw Nation channel. Thank you all so much for watching this live stream here on uh, uh, the Cinephiles YouTube channel. Uh, Steve, please tell them everything we, uh, we've got going on and everything that they can uh, do here uh, for the Cinephiles. Well, uh, as always, you can support the Cinephiles on patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. You can subscribe and listen to the show right here on YouTube. Please leave your comments there. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can buy every movie we've ever done on cinephiles.net. And, of course, we've got our upcoming Black Panther two-part episode in honor of Chadwick Boseman and supporting the National Children's Cancer Society. And our 200th episode is eventually going to drop, which is a full documentary on the origins of the Cinephiles, all of our guests and all of our feelings about great film. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and where can they follow? Did you tell them where they can follow you? Oh, uh, you follow me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. You can follow the cinephiles at Cine underscore files on Twitter and the cinephiles podcast on Instagram. There you go. Uh, and you can follow me at the Roka says on Twitter and on Instagram. And please uh, subscribe to the uh, Cinephiles YouTube channel here uh, down below there. But also come on over to the Outlaw Nation YouTube channel as well. Uh, YouTube.com slash John Roka says. And uh, come and watch me live right now. Talk about pro wrestling. Completely I don't know how you do that. I do not. I'm, <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> uh, situation there. Uh, but thank you all so much. Can't thank you enough for the stream labs that you sent in. We can't do super chats because we, we're not monetized as a YouTube channel on the Cinephiles. So uh, we have to only do stream labs. So, but we appreciate very much all you look forward to everything. And please don't forget to donate at the national children's cancer society at the link. If you want to screen back, scroll back up, you can find that. Or if you want to uh, take a look, I'm going to put it in the description of this video down there below. Uh, let's get the $3,000 matching uh, so that, uh, you know, they, they have a great, uh, they have a great feeling about the cinephile. So thank you all so much. Look forward to that 200th documentary. It is coming. Uh, and then of course, come and join us soon for the black Panther episodes that we're doing once again with Jay Washington and Winston Marshall as our special guests. We're recording them very soon and they'll be out very soon for you all to enjoy. All right. Until then, Steve, what do we tell them? Uh, we'll see you next time on the cinephiles. Thank you. Thank you.